Welcome to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford, founder of Startup Creative, your go-to source for straight-up business advice. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford, founder of Startup Creative, and I have been looking forward to sharing this episode with you ever since I recorded it a few weeks back. This story left me feeling so inspired and some of the advice and tips that Sophie shares in this episode are so actionable, so potent, and I've been coaching my clients with some of her advice and implementing it into my own business ever since. So for those of you who don't know, Sophie is the founder of Seed and Sprout, an eco-lifestyle business that aims to reduce plastic. I personally came across Seed and Sprout when my little sister sent me a big package of these products for my birthday a few years ago, and ever since I've been a big fan of the brand. I love what they stand for, the sustainability, the branding, um, but for me it was a, a powerful experience of coming across a brand that inspired me to change my behavior around using plastic in my house. And for me, when I come across a brand like that, that changes the way you think and educates you and inspires you to do something different, especially something like sustainability and and maybe um, investing in, in better produce rather than um, single-use plastic, I think that's a really a sign of a really powerful brand and something that I'm inspired by and intrigued by. So I reached out to Sophie and wanted to know more about how she's built this business and built this trend of beautiful products that um, reduces plastic in, in the world and leaves the world a better place. And I thought this conversation would go a certain direction, to be honest. I had all of these questions ready for Sophie and it was so, so much more than I could ever have imagined Sophie just oozes entrepreneurship. She has an incredible startup story from picking up a book when she was pregnant with her first child and throwing herself into the world of business and startups and entrepreneurship. Seed and Sprout is actually her third business. Um, so she's had a lot of success, a lot of wisdom to share with you. It hasn't all been peachy, um, but she's had some incredible mentors along the way, like Seth Godin. So she shares with you what advice he gave to her um, when she went to meet him in New York a few years back. Um, But there's so much in here. She shares lots of great book recommendations, but overall, I'm sure you'll get it from the episode. Her determination, her strong sense of why she's running her business has led her to incredible success. She shows what it takes to take a business um, to to come up with an idea, to validate the idea and to scale it into the absolute success that she has done with Seed and Sprout, even though she's had limited resources and lots of challenges along the way. She started Seed and Sprout in her garage and has built it into a big empire that she now runs out of a warehouse in Byron Bay with 25 staff. 
So I won't spoil the ending, but grab your pen and paper. This episode is really juicy. Sophie's an absolute legend. We actually um, caught up for dinner after this episode because we both realized we were in Byron Bay and we had so much in common and, and spent the night sharing business advice and tips and comparing notes on meditation and and what it's like to run social media and all sorts. So that's part two of this episode. Enjoy this conversation, and if you like what you hear, we would love for you to share it on your social media and tag both Seed and Sprout and Startup Creative, and you will go in the running to win a Seed and Sprout gift pack um, that we have teamed up to give away together. So make sure you do that. I'll post more details on social media when this goes live, but enjoy the episode, and I look forward to hearing what you think. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Sophie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I was just saying offline to those at home, um, I was telling Sophie how much I love her Seed and Sprout brand and it's all through my kitchen and now my go-to gift for friends and family. Thank you. (laughs) Congratulations. Uh, I might get you to kick off and just in your own words, introduce Seed and Sprout to... um, our, our listeners. Yeah, sure. Um, so Seed and Sprout is a eco lifestyle business. We sell a range of eco-friendly products, so we're trying to help people eliminate single-use plastics from their lives. And the business is coming up to four years old now, and I guess it originated with the concept that my son was starting school and I needed to find a solution for his lunchbox that was plastic free. Yeah, I love it. And you've got a pretty cool story as too. I read on your website um, how you went on that journey and it was a requirement of the school, right? Yeah, it was. So I'm up here in Byron and, you know, there's some pretty alternative schools up here and my son goes to one of them. Um, (laughs) And it's really cool because they really care. And so one of the policies is no plastic in the lunchbox, no disposable packaging, and they also strongly encourage that you don't use plastic as the material of the lunchbox as well. Amazing. And I feel like, that you know, four years ago you started this, but they were, they were ahead of the times in terms of leading the way with the sustainability and reducing plastic, right? Yeah, and it's really interesting because it feels like, you know, I've been doing this business for four years now and sustainability is such a front of mind topic of conversation. You know, it's massive right now, but four years ago it was really just starting and it's come a long way in those four years. Absolutely. And we'll definitely jump into um, where where all of that came from and how you guys are definitely, I would say, leading the way in in the space as well. But before we jump into that, I think it's important to, to do a bit of background on you. And I was just telling Sophie how I did a, a Google stalk and learned some pretty cool things, including um, you've had a number of businesses, <laughs> one of which I wish I knew about. And I don't know how long ago you can let us know, but you had a um, feather hair extensions, which were totally <laughs> a vibe for a while there. And I'm definitely guilty of getting on that bandwagon. Massive vibe. Yeah, so that was kind of my start. I think I was always a problem solver at heart. I was always the kind of person who really got a kick out of 
figuring out the best solution for whatever the problem was. Um, And I guess I looked at my life in that way as well from an early age where, you know, I started a family quite early and I was doing this shift work and I was working in a share house and I just wanted to establish some freedom for myself. So it was around that time when I, the four hour work week landed in my lap. And of course, what a great concept that is. (laughs) Um, And so I guess that kind of just got me thinking, maybe I can live a little bit differently. Like maybe I don't have to do the nine to five thing um, and, and get a bit of freedom in my life. So, yeah, Yeah. so the Feather Extensions was the first little foray into that, really. Amazing. Oh, we have a similar story. I think I was was in the corporate world and um, came across 4-Hour Workweek and Mm. Thinking Grow Rich. And once you kind of get one of those books, you go down a a bit of a rabbit hole of um, entrepreneur and business and (laughs) development. um, They're the best. It's the best way to learn, isn't it? Books, podcasts, like honestly, I've never done any, I finished high school and that was it. I've never done any business degrees or had any kind of background in it, but it's just all been basically free learning online. I I totally agree. Like I learned so much and even rehashing some of the books that I read when I first started out, I can realise how I act like the advice now. Like I hear it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I act like that. I must have went into my subconscious, obviously. (laughs) Totally. So many good lessons. I'd love to um, compare favourite book lists with you. Later. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've got. <laughs> yeah. I'm. I've constantly got about four books on the go. So yeah, same. Definitely. Some. Um, yeah. But yeah. So you, did you? I, I'm always intrigued too. Is did you? Was that kind of your intro to you know create your own life vibe, or did you have um, pe- people around you who are entrepreneurs or running their own businesses? Um, yeah. No, I didn't have any one around me. There was one person that I knew that had started their business, but that was the extent of it. So, yeah, yeah no. Amazing. So how, how long ago was the feather business, hair business? Oh, gosh. Okay. So I would have finished high school. I was probably 23. Yeah, I was 23. Amazing. So you came up with this idea or you saw the trend of, of um, feather hair business, uh, feather hair extensions, hmm. you built a business out of it. Is this the one that took you to New York? It was. It was a wild ride and I think it was a really amazing introduction into entrepreneurism and what you can do when you just put your head down because actually I was pregnant, I think, reading the four-hour work week and then just given birth so I had a very young infant and I had very limited time and extraordinarily limited resources and I just decided to give it a go so I just followed the stuff that was in the book the four-hour work week and found that identified a little trend that was taking off which was fed the hair extensions you know like Miley Cyrus and whoever else (laughs) were wearing them and it was blowing up and I just thought, yeah, I'll give it a go, set up a little testing website, sold like 12 or something overnight, 
And I was like, oh, my gosh, okay, this is a thing. Turned it off, figured out how to get stock and set up the business. And it was at the same time that they were running, I think it was only the second annual Shopify Builder Business Contest. But anyway, I don't know. I heard about it and registered the store and turned on an AdWords account, tried to figure out how that all worked and started sending traffic to the store. And it just blew up and we did a hundred thousand in the first month Wow! and won the build a business Shopify competition for our category. And I won $25,000 in cash. I think us um, got flown to New York, met my men, like my total guru at the time, business guru, Seth Godin. I just, you know, he's a total legend. I'm so jealous of that. I can't when I read that I was like, oh my God. <laughs> it was so it was such a trip. And I was so young and I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. It was such a whirlwind. And yeah, went up to his office, upstate New York, like so quirky, so interesting. Um, yeah, did the whole thing and that was really like my introduction into it all. I was like, oh this is the life for me. I'm just an entrepreneur now. <laughs> this is me who needs university. I love it. Yeah, it was really great. It's quite addictive, isn't it? I, even as you're talking, I do remember the, the, the first times when I was, you know, reading the books and start, you know, building your website and seeing things work in that oh. rush that you get of being like, holy shit, it works. And, you know, what is possible? It's incredible. And I think it's just so important well it has been for me anyway to do it in that really like lean and scrappy way and I think that's been such a good building block for me is like always validate your idea like always test before you throw money or like a lot of amount of time into it like really simple concepts and like simply testing an idea before you throw too much into it is just such a simple idea but I just feel it's so important and it can be really, really easy, you know, if you do hone in on what those important things are. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like when you, and I think that's what I love about Startup Creative is like when you get down to it and you really dig behind all the lingo and, you know, mm-hmm. all of the flashy, you know, courses and things out there, there's some pretty core fundamental things to know about business. And if you can stick to those and execute, then you can't really get it wrong. Yeah. Yeah, find somebody who's actually willing to pay for whatever it is that you're trying to create and then, you know, if they are, then it's a go. Yeah, then you have a business. Exactly. So for those of you who don't know, you should highly check out Seth Godin. Some of my favourite books was like Purple Cow. Recently I read the This Is Marketing, which is not one of his latest ones. Tribes mm-hmm. is another really good one that he wrote. What was mm-hmm. some of your favourites? Um, I think Idea Virus, that, was that a, a whole book or I don't know whether that was a concept within one of those books, but, yeah, Purple Cow obviously was my favourite. I feel like that's the introduction one, the place to start with Seth. Um, but, yeah. yeah, everything that he writes is good. Brilliant. Very, very smart man and exactly what you said, quirky and cool. So any major tips while we're on the Seth Godin and I'm fangirling over you meeting him? Um, from, <laughs> what was what was the biggest take-homes from Seth and what he you learned really early on that you think has carried throughout? Um, I think that 
you know, I think I, I think I took so much from his, his concept about marketing, which is so simple, which is just, I think he refers to them as sneezes. So people who can go around and they talk positively about your business and it essentially does the marketing for you. So if your idea is important enough that people are actually going to go out there and talk about it and share it and you basically can't stop them from doing that, that's really a key to success and a key to marketing and a key to free marketing. And I try Mm -hmm. to implement those concepts into my business. So I think about, you know, what is it that's going to get people to sneeze about my business and spread that idea? Yeah, he pretty much predicted Instagram, right? That's that's what Instagram is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Amazing. That's great advice. So I I know I feel like we could go on for uh, book recommendations and startup world, but um, I I also want to really cover getting seed and sprout into the world and, you know, from my experience and watching and and being probably a sneezer for your brand Mm -hmm. is that it, really hit the um the pavement early in I think like and why I reached out for this podcast is that it was probably the first time coming across seed and sprout that I was like hey I can do this sustainability thing like it not only did I was attracted to your brand imagery and style and you know things that I wanted to put in my house but it really made me question and make conscious choices and feel inspired and educated to like transition my life into a more sustainable plastic free and you know I've gone to do you know dirt company which do the ethical sustainable um, washing powders and Mm -hmm. um, yeah all all sorts but I feel like your seed and sprout was a real entry point for me and my question is did you you know obviously it feels like it's quite trending right now and almost expected of brands to be plastic free Mm -hmm. Um, but when you hit the ground early did you ever fear that maybe people weren't ready um to jump on um no I wouldn't say that I would say though that at the start of this journey I had no idea where it would lead to so it was baby steps for me and the business is a complete extension of my own customer journey so you know, when people say is it hard to come up with the ideas or concepts, for me it's not difficult in any way because it's simply my own customer journey of exploring this eco-friendly lifestyle. So as we started out, it was because I, I had this need for my son and a plastic-free lunchbox that would help keep his food separated without, you know, having any toxic chemicals leach into it and all of that sort of stuff. And I thought it was just going to be a lunchbox company, a plastic-free lunchbox company. And then little did you know. What and you then all create. of a sudden, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, "Hang on, I don't want to. I don't want that plastic bag from the supermarket anymore. Like, I want to bring my own bag." And then I'm like, "Okay, well, like that bag's ugly. <laughs> I want a nice bag." So it really was that. I guess that meeting of these these sustainability 
ideas that I wanted to implement into my own life slowly, slowly, and also feeling a little frustrated, like, yeah, I'm ready to make that leap, but the products on the market are fugly and like that's <laughs> not going to make me feel good. So each product yeah. has just been an extension of that, starting with the farmer's market bag set where I was like, oh, God, this is really weird to create bags. Like I sell lunch boxes, but, hey, like I really need a bag and it's stopping people use plastic, so I think it makes sense. And, mm-hmm. like I don't just need this bag, but I also need like these three other types of bags so that I can really do this properly plastic freak. So I brought out the farmer's yeah. market set. That completely, like, I misjudged the interest in that because, like, we ordered 200 units, I think. When I say we, I mean me. It was just me. (laughs) Um, But they sold out and then I ordered 400 and they sold out and so it had all just kind of started. But it was slowly, slowly along the journey and everything went so slowly as well, like, in terms of me developing new product and getting stuff here and all of that sort of stuff so it was it all felt like kind of treading through quicksand um at the start it was very slow moving but as the interest in sustainability picked up I could see so many different gaps in the market and so as the team grew we were able to bring out those products to meet those needs in the market quicker Amazing. And I, there's so much l- wisdom in there for people at home who might be looking to start their own business. And I think, um, it, you know, I, I'm a big believer and I always advise people to build a business around something that they need or that they're passionate about or that they can relate to. Because as a, if you're as your own target market, then you're able to be better informed um, of, you know, what exactly how the product's going to land or what is needed so that it it meets the needs quicker. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree with that. I mean, I think you can do the other thing as well. I think a lot of people do do that, but I think it's just a hell of a lot easier if you are the customer. Yeah, and I think you when you're when you're seeking to meet your own needs or, you know, I've got clients who obviously out to meet needs of maybe a friend or a family member that they've watched, experienced a problem um, but you're, um, you become passionate and it's like, the, I guess what you said at the beginning too, is like you become driven to solve the problem. And it, that I think is what part of what drives you on those really dark days where business can also be really hard. Yeah, absolutely. I've had a lot of dark days. I've wanted to throw in the mm-hmm. towel a lot of times. Um, and I think the fact that I was doing something that, I really cared about and I consciously chose this path as well. Like when I decided to create that first lunchbox, I knew that I wanted to do that because it was something that I felt was a positive impact for the world. It wasn't just that I needed a lunchbox that worked. It was that I was going to help reduce the negative impact on the planet. And I, you know, that helps me every day and it helps the team when things are hard because we know that we're working towards something positive but more Mm. than that as well when we reach out for help I think people really want to help us and people want to work with us and people want to align with this because you know it resonates with a lot of people everybody would like to do a little bit more and so not only does it help me get up every day with a spring in my step 
or get through those really hard days. Um, but it also helps facilitate the growth of the business because I think people are more willing to work with us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing that you mentioned is like your need grew. And I think that's exactly how I've experienced, you know, what I what I shared, which is um, the once you buy one thing in this sustainable space and, and you make a conscious choice and I think you're having a beautiful product is a nice entry point into opening up the question of, you know, how, what impact are you leaving on the planet with what's in your cupboard or what, you know, you're buying? Um, and then that allows, you know, the entry point to more of a conversation of being like, well, what else can I do? Because now I have this and it feel fit, that was easy and beautiful and, you know, I get a compliment on my lunchbox or I like to pack it or whatever into, you know, how else can I transform my kitchen? I know that was definitely my journey. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people are going through that. And it certainly helps when you can feel good about what you're doing. And it looks nice. I mean, everybody wants the the things around them to look good and to feel really lovely when you're using them. So I do think that is a part of what we're doing is trying to help people feel good when they make those positive choices. Yeah, and it's that inspiration to it, right? It's Yeah, it's like other incentives. Um, but I'm interested to hear the story around getting this up off the ground because I know, you know, there's a big leap there between, um, hey, I need to make a lunchbox or I can't find a lunchbox, I know I'll make one to, oh, I now have nearly 300,000 followers and this huge big um, product range and, you know, a, a really um, passionate following of people who are on board with what you're doing. Um, so let's go back to the beginning. Once you've got this idea, I understand that you did a, you tested it online. You can definitely tell all of your entrepreneur background, by the way, <laughs> in all the advice that you've done. But um, tell us a little bit about how you tested whether this product would, um, yeah, get traction or not. Um, so essentially what I wanted to do was to validate the concept and, you know, being a big fan of listening to podcasts, one of the things that a lot of my peers were currently dabbling in, um, was selling products on Amazon in the States. Now the previous business I had to seed and sprout in between the feather hair extension business was actually an app development company and um, we can get into that later if you want but that's actually an interesting story too. Um, But some of my peers had pivoted from apps into Amazon Um, and so, you know, I was listening to these podcasts about selling products on Amazon um, and how it's such a great marketplace to to validate your concept So that was how I started. So once I had this lunchbox that I thought would be a really great solution, um, I actually sent a small amount of inventory over to the States and started selling it on Amazon.com and it sold and it sold through well. Um, I was giving away a lot of discounts and things like that, but people really they wanted that product. And so that was the way that I validated that concept. Um, And then I 
all my friends and family. Sorry? I was going to ask, so with your production of the, what was the process and how long did it take to actually get the concept of the um, lunchbox to something in your hand? Um, I, at least six months, probably eight months or longer, um, there was a lot of back and forth. This first lunchbox was relatively simple, though, in comparison to the crunch box, which was the second one that we brought out which we also did a kickstarter for and that one was in development for perhaps 18 months so it takes a it takes a long time um when you're working with custom molds and um different constraints so it's a there's a lot of back and forth there's a lot of you know trying to convey your concept to somebody who is going to do up the designs and then once you might find that you're happy with the design but then you might take it to the manufacturer and they just say, no, that's not actually possible and then it's back to the drawing board again. So it can be a really, really long process. Uh, And so was the product, how many did you do for your first production of the lunchboxes? How many did you? I did, I know for sure I did their minimum order and I want to say that it was 1,500 pieces. Wow. And is this the one that you kick-started for? Um, yeah, I did two Kickstarters for two different lunchboxes. But, yes, I did do a Kickstarter for that one. Wow. And so with the Kickstarter, I mean, there's so much to cover. I'm bouncing all <laughs> over the place. But I really feel like pulling lots of your wisdom out of you because I think you've got a lot to offer. <laughs> Sorry for the interrogation. No, no, go. I love it. <laughs> no, it's great hearing the background. Um, so with the, you kickstarted, so how much did you raise in your first Kickstarter? First Kickstarter, we raised $34,000. We were fully funded within 48 hours. Amazing. Congratulations. That is like very, I've I've worked on a few different Kickstarters over the years and I know that that is not an easy feat. I think people hear stories like yours and go, I know, I'll just kickstart my business and it doesn't always go to plan. But what would you say was, and like, what did you have to show for it? Like, was it just graphics? And then what was the success of that Kickstarter? Um, I actually had the finished product photographed and made up a little video which was basically just a slideshow on iMovie with some titles and um (laughs) it was pretty rudimentary to be honest it was not the kind of snazzy kickstarter videos you see these days um but you know I had my story and I do think that was important and I also had um, a couple of people who had a bit of a social media following who actually shared the Kickstarter, which I think was a really good start. And I also, the second Kickstarter that we did, Kickstarter actually picked it up as one of their featured projects. So we got some extra traffic through that as well. 
Amazing. So we're the first Kickstarter, $35,000 in 48 hours. Incredible. And then you go and um, produce them, obviously, the manufacturing process. You have 1,500 arrive. You send a bunch to America. They do really well in um, Amazon. So it, just for those at home who might be wondering, it's pretty much like a drop ship, right, whereas you send it to Amazon and they do it all from, from their warehouse. Yeah, so actually the timeline was that I set I I had enough money for the first round of production to send some to Amazon in the US and then my friends and fam- family started asking when can we get them in Australia but I at that point wasn't sure whether the Australian market was big enough to support my idea. I still didn't fully believe in it and I didn't have the money to back it with inventory to come to Australia either. So I started the Kickstarter to bring the boxes to Australia. So I already had some good reviews that I'd built up on Amazon, which I was able to share in that Kickstarter, which I do think helped as well. Amazing. So you, um, the, then your second, so you kickstart again for the second round or is this, so you bring the 35,000 was to bring it to Australia and set up. Yeah. Um, did you still just have the one lunchbox at this at space or was there other Yeah, so that was, that was bringing the brand essentially to Australia and that was a real pivot because I, I, it was all testing up until that point and I thought, you know, the American market is much bigger population, like if you want to make an idea work, that's the place and I just really thought, that that's what I was doing. I was going to sell these lunchboxes into America. And then I had to really, once I had that validation from the Kickstarter to bring it to Australia, I really had to stop and assess like, okay, was that even working? Was that strategy right? Maybe not. And so I completely pivoted that business to focus on Australia. And I just ran out the stock in the U.S., started selling the lunchboxes here in Australia and, you know, it was working. I'd done the Kickstarter. I'd started to sell a few on my website um, and then I thought, okay, what's next? Drink bottle. So, of (laughs) course, somebody wants a drink bottle. They want a little case. They want the different lunch accessories. So that was the start of it is just bringing those little accessories over and adding them in and then slowly, slowly built out that lunchbox offering and then I went into the bags and then I think I did a few other products like the food savers and more of the silicon products for your fridge and then I was working in the background the whole time working on this concept for the crunch box um, which is the second kickstarter that I did which ended up being maybe like a year later or 18 months later after that initial kickstarter for the first lunchbox to actually bring out the second lunchbox yeah wow amazing and so with the um traction and bringing it over to Australia would you what would you say with some of the successes or do you remember any like highlights was there press or things that or was it just an organic growth through your yeah providing a lot of Yeah, a lot of people seem to point to like a certain thing like, oh, I went on Shark Tank or or this or that. Mm -hmm. There was none of that for me. There was no pivotal moment where it really like penetrated the masses or like, you know, some major celebrity reposted or anything like that. We got 
numerous small wins over time that built into bigger and bigger wins but there was no it was just the consistency of just showing up and continuing to market and continuing to connect with community on Instagram and just that really gradual organic growth. Mm, That's such great advice and it's so good for people at home to hear because I think you can look from the outside and be like wow you know they're you know won an award or something happened but I really do think and I give this advice all the time it really is about showing up every single day and working on the business and growing Mm. and it sounds to me as if that's you know your natural headspace and way that you work to constantly be going how do we grow how do we get better how do we serve more through this business yeah and I think I, I recently did an exercise about identifying my strengths where I actually had to have people around me cross-check what I thought about myself and say what they thought actually um, in terms of strengths. And, you know, one of my friends, she mentioned that she thought that I had a really good ability to always identify and work on what the most important thing was instead of getting too bogged down and trying to do too many things. And I Mm. think that that's, you know, a real philosophy for me to live by is to just always pick out what is that important project to be working on, even though like all the day-to-day stuff can pile up so much. And I'm sure like you being a Tim Ferriss fan, like with his prioritization of tasks and stuff that speaks to you as well. And I don't know if you've read the one thing, but you know, what he says in the one thing is um, what's the one thing that would make all your other tasks either easier or unnecessary and just do that, like do that first. And so, like, I'm not as disciplined as I I would like to be, but, like, in an ideal world I would just chunk out, you know, two and a half hours first thing every day and like not check emails not do anything until this was done and just always like cross check am I doing this thing that's going to make everything else easier or am I just replying to emails like spinning my wheels doing you know urgent to do's that I know that I'll you know at the end of the day of course I'm going to pay the bill you know Mm. but I need to prioritize with where my energy and focus goes and also like your focus and goodwill there's only a a limited amount of that that you get every day. So like Mm. to burn it up in the morning doing things that aren't going to push you forward, I think like, you, yeah, you're going to burn up that energy for the day on those things. Uh, Absolutely. That is such great advice and I think it's what I, how I kind of approach it is like what's the return on the investment for that, you know, is that... Is that task on your to-do list yet getting the return of what you need an outcome for right now, whether that's, you know, bringing in money or get um, developing the new product or getting that website live, whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. And so tell us about growing then. So obviously you're the founder. How long were you doing it solo and when did you go through the process of bringing team on? What's your team look like now and how's that been? Mm, okay. So we're four years old, probably for the first year and a half, it was just me, but I did have somebody helping me dispatch the orders. So 
I think the first shipment that we had that I brought into Australia after the Kickstarter had been funded, I think I was on holidays somewhere and I actually had the shipment arrive to a friend's house into her garage and she dispatched the Kickstarter orders, which was incredible. I was somewhere away and she did it for me. And then the delivery after that, you know, they just came into my single car garage and we, I, I got somebody local to come and help me dispatch orders as orders grew. Um, and, you know, she would come over two days a week or something and send those orders out. Um, and that went on for quite some time. You know, we didn't really grow all of a sudden. Like I said, it was quite steady um, for the first few years and really stressful and, like, definitely not profitable. Um, mm-hmm. And then at some point, you know, these farmer's market sets kept duplicating. So we kept buying more stock and it kept selling out. And then the girl who was helping me dispatch orders, she was like, I think we're going to need to move out of the garage. And I was like, really? <laughs> like, are you sure? I just didn't think that, yeah, I didn't know that that's <laughs> where we're at. But she was really like, no, I think we do. And so we did. And we moved to this cute little um, place in the Byron Bay Industrial Estate and we fitted all out the girls, you know, my girlfriends and my mum, we all just got in there with sledgehammers and just like ripped it all out and refurbed it with all of these like great secondhand materials and it was just like girl power all around. My mum renovated the entire kitchen with her bare hands. It was just so cool. (laughs) Um, And so we moved into there. And I had a couple of staff on, but it was all very sporadic because it would be like a shipment had come in of farmer's market sets and we'd send them all out because they'd all been purchased on pre-order and then we'd be out of stock and then it would just be, you know, crickets until the next (sighs) delivery. So it was like, and then it was just so hard and I was just losing money and it just it felt like it was exciting because I knew that we were growing but it just felt so hard and so lonely at times because I was a sole business owner and I'd you know have these crazy sheets of just like how much money we owed to different suppliers and like all the outgoings and all of this sort of stuff and it'd just be like it was dire I just didn't Mm. know what was going to happen. And so I did this really like sad, depressed, like cry for help post on um, that like-minded bitches drinking wine Facebook group, that that female business group. And I was like, I'm just ready to throw in the towel. Like how do you get through this? This is so hard. And some incredible person contacted me and ended up like offering her help to mentor me and she had come from this crazy background um in a huge business in Australia and she just out of the kindness of her heart took me under her wing has mentored me ever since then and helped me make all the right decisions to get to here and so like you know we moved into that warehouse and the industrial estate and I had a couple of employees and then we started trying to order more stock to keep up with demand and it just like it blew out and within eight 
less than 12 months. I think it was about seven months. We had to move out because we'd outgrown it. And I was looking at a place that was like maybe twice as big just across the road. And my mentor, Alex, stepped in and she was like, you need to really plan for the future at this point. Um, I really recommend that you take a much bigger lease. And so I looked at different leases and then found this one that we're at now, which was just crazy, like huge cavernous place. Mm -hmm. But she was like, you're going to need it with this growth because she could see the growth trajectory, Mm -hmm. whereas I kind of couldn't. And so I took a huge gamble on her advice took this lease and now we're bloody bursting at the seams again. And now, so since moving in here, we're at about 25 staff. We do dispatch all of our own orders here from the warehouse. So there's the warehouse team and then obviously like the administration team upstairs here. But it's really nice all being under one roof. It's really like it's great to have so much control over dispatch. Um, But, yeah, so now four years in, yeah, 25 staff and like 450, 480 square metre warehouse. Wow. And Congratulations. You really, like, you really <laughs> are the stereotype, like all great businesses starting in a garage. <laughs> yeah, I know. I wish I had the photos because it was pretty. <laughs> yes, you need to find those. Um, I love that and I think there's such an important lesson in there of like, you know, your story of being like there's a need here I'm determined to work for myself and I'm gonna find a solution to this need you know doing the hard yards and doing everything yourself I think is so important and people you know try to skip that step but that's where you that's where you learn right it's so much lessons come and then when you get to that growth stage you know, getting that mentor or that coach, like I've had coaches from day one in my business as well. And it's just been absolutely vital in in that somebody outside being like, your skill set is being the entrepreneur Mm -hmm. and and your, you know, your energy has got to be on coming up with the new products and, you know, the creative side and then outsourcing to smart minds who, you know, you don't have to know it all and do it all. Yeah. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I love hiring smarter people than me. I'm just like all for it. (laughs) Uh, I remember early on when I think I went, I was, I kind of remember it was some silly task and I was trying to reinvent it. Like, and I was like, no, I'm going to do it different or whatever. And I remember getting the advice and being like, just like outsource that or give it to somebody who's better at it, you know, Mm. and get on with it. Like, and it was such a game changer and something that I've done ever since now, like just constantly going, where does my energy feel like it's being drained and who can I give that task to? Yeah, totally. It's that overlapping of that, like, stuff that you're really, really good at and also stuff that you really, really enjoy doing Mm, and just focusing on that little tiny overlap of things that you're actually really great at and actually really enjoy doing. Yeah, and I think people think they have to have all of this cash flow and be able to hire and do all these things from the beginning. And it's like, I know I've pulled so many favours or or done swaps or, you know, just paid people, you know, um, on a contract basis and things like that. So, yeah, I think it's really smart for people at home to think, you know, 
you don't you're not necessarily paying all these people or you know there's there's so many creative ways that you can inspire people to you know give to you and you give back to them and you know support each other as a community as well yeah that's right and you do really have to earn your stripes and work your way up to being able to actually (laughs) afford to hire those right people who can come in and you know for me it's been a new thing to be able to actually hire professionals who are specialized in their industry and they're the head of whatever department whereas you know up until there it really is calling on people to stretch themselves or their skill sets and just roll up their sleeves and figure it out and you know that's what I did that's what I've done in the business and you know it got us and it got us to here so there is a point where you pivot and you just pay and get the right people in but you know you can get pretty far without having to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the whole idea of earning your stripes and understanding your business. And I think, you know, I just recently shared a podcast episode on getting a book deal from a publisher and um, talked about, you know, when you're in the game and you're working your ass off and you're showing up, then also you, that that starts to create waves. You know, people start to notice and some, you know, you have those days where you're like, is anyone even watching or listening or, you know, caring? And then, yeah, like earning your stripes and then that actually can attract attention of, of really smart people as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, amazing. So I'm just interested and in, it sounds to me as if like maybe part of the one of those growth um, challenges for you was the um, cash flow of, you know, money coming in, you know, you from what I've learned over the years of people in product-based businesses, it's such a big outlay and then having to manage, you know, your other expenses and then reinvest in new product. Um, absolutely. Cash flow was a massive stress for me and we've, only turn the corner, you know, in recent times. And it just, when you're, when you're scaling a business, there's just no time to catch up with that sort of stuff, you know, if it is a product-based business, because as you grow, you have to anticipate that growth by investing in future product for future sales, not sales that you've already taken money for. And you know, it's very, very difficult. And I honestly can't, I can't even say how we got through it because it was a deep, dark pit that I was just throwing cash into. It just felt like I was burning money. And, you know, at some point, yeah, actually, to be honest, you know, it was really, really, really hard. And I burned through all of my personal savings I actually got to the point where I didn't know how I was going to make rent the next week and that was literally the week that the business started to turn a slight profit enough so that I could take $400 out to pay myself a wage of $400 a week and was able to pay rent. So it really, it was very, very tough and, you know, I think it was only that that rock bottom point was only about 18 months ago. So, wow. so I know that it seems like, you know, 
we're flying and, you know, it must be so great and so easy. It's been really hard. And I'm still, I'm just coming out of that chrysalis of feeling like almost traumatised by how hard that struggle was and, you know, now just being extremely sensible with our cash flow and just making sure we're in a really strong position for the future because, you know, I obviously, I feel um, probably an obligation even to make sure this business is an ongoing success because I just feel like what we're doing super important and super right and the the messages that we get on a daily basis from our customers that say like you're the reason that I have changed my habits or you know your company has helped inspire me to think of things differently or because I found your brand this is what I've done in my own home and it's just so encouraging and so inspiring for me so now I feel like an obligation to be as responsible as I can with this company and make sure that it flourishes so that we can continue to make that impact into the future. That's amazing and thank you for sharing so honestly about how hard it has been because yeah, I think it's a really powerful message and not often do you hear people get really real about the challenges of it as well. Yeah, yeah. I think it gets uh, I think it gets glossed over. And there are a lot of great stories as well that aren't like that, but this is how my story went. Yeah, no, I love it. I mean, I not sorry that you had to go through that and I can Im- imagine it actually reminds me of um have you read shoe dog a good book recommendation for you no what's it called uh, shoe dog it's about the shoe dog Nike. yeah oh so the- I've heard of it my friend told me to read it yeah 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 you will love it you probably needed it 18 months ago but at least <laughs> it will give you some um some hope that you can come out the other side. But the the similar story of like the Nike founders who, you know, they had a million dollars coming in and then a million dollars going out every single month. And it was like they had this million dollar credit with the bank and, you know, they would sell all their stock and then they have to reorder and then their rent would be due. And, um, and it wasn't until they listed on the stock exchange actually and then overnight all became multi-billionaires. <laughs> Whoa, okay. <laughs> Maybe that's your next move, listing the stock exchange. <laughs> so public. Noted. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, and it's incredible to see you come out the other side with so much passion and another reminder of, you know, what the difference between a founder who's going to, you know, go through all of that hardship because they actually genuinely care about what they're doing. Mm, Yeah. I actually had a quit date. You know how people have like affirmations for the future or something written on their mirror at home? I had um, my date that I was going to throw in the towel written (laughs) clearly on the mirror because I just at some point I was just like, how long can I keep doing this? Wow. Yeah. And it's just like that it's carrying like the weight, you know, like I think mm-hmm. even now, you know, you've got 25 people's lives in your hands with, mm-hmm. you know, pay, paychecks and um, mm-hmm. obligations and also a reputation. You know, there's, I think I've definitely learned that over the years of building, you can build a, a following on Instagram and it could get you places and 
people you know seem to give you more time of day when they <laughs> but which is ridiculous but also it comes with the pressure of having to show up and not you know feeling like sometimes you can't have a bad day or mm, absolutely that's taken a really big toll on me actually like the people management and the pressure of that it's um I think people who work in HR or who are exceptionally good in that regard, like it's definitely a skill and a talent and it's one of the heaviest burdens I think I carry with being an employer because I just want everybody to be happy all the time and mm-hmm. if there's if anybody's unhappy or if there's any issues within the staff, it just, like it just keeps me up at night. It's the one thing that I just really really struggle with and I take it all really personally and I think I I kind of I didn't anticipate how taxing that side of the responsibility of this business would be and it really yeah you want to look after your people you want them to be happy you want them to come to work every day like feeling super happy and when they're not it's just like oh well this is my fault like if their workload is unmanageable or if they're having an issue with somebody else or like whatever that issue is, you know, the buck stops with you as the business owner. And it's hard for me to not feel as though when things are not right, it's personally my fault. It's more Mm. my responsibility, but I think I just take it to heart a little bit too much. (laughs) It sounds like you care a lot, I would say. Yeah, I just really want everyone to be happy all the time. Uh, and I think, and I've heard this in so many podcast interviews and founders that I've met, is that the people management, it's like we're all human, right? We have emotions, we have things going on in the background where, you know, there's, I would say people management is probably the hardest skill and <laughs> do not envy anyone who has to do it. But also like just even today hearing your story and being like, you know, I finished high school, I was um, a new mum. And I entered, you threw yourself into being an entrepreneur and now here you are, you know, managing massive cash flow, you know, huge distribution and 25 staff in a warehouse, like where no one teaches you that skill set. It's not like you were like, hang on, I'm going to stop and go and do a, a course on this. It's like you not only have you built the product line, but you've had to learn all of these skills along the way. Mm, yeah. It's certainly been an education. There's a lot of grey hairs here. <laughs> <laughs> it's very inspiring. It's been incredible to to dive behind the brand. Um, I'd love to hear um, maybe some of your productivity hacks. I think even just, you know, sharing from, from the hardships, and I know I've had those days as well where you just like I was in um, Paris I think this time last year and my girlfriend was like, I was like, I'm going to go down to the bar and have a margarita and just do some journaling. She's like, okay, I'll meet you down there for dinner. And she came down and I was like, um, she's like, so what have you been journaling about? I was like, I'm going to close my business down. <laughs> she was like, no, you're not. I was like, I was like, no, nah, doing it. And I was just so like exhausted. Yeah. Um, but what would you say, like, what are some of your tips? And I think it's really a, a common um starting to start the conversation more, I guess, in the entrepreneur startup world around mental health and, you know, mm. self-care and keeping that balance. Mm. But what are, what are some of the tips that you do for your personal time management and also self-care routines? Yeah, okay. Um, well, 
You know, on the productivity side of things, I guess it's trying to really identify those top priorities. So instead of making a really long to-do list, it's making a really short one, you know, potentially only three or even one tasks on that list per day. Because I think if you're not if you're not prioritizing the most important task and also you're not getting able to check off your to-do list, it can feel um, really futile, like you're not getting anywhere. Um, mm. I also like to put aside time on a Friday, a two-hour planning chunk. They say that really effective people spend like up to a day per week actually just planning. So mm. I feel like putting that planning time aside so that you can hit the ground running the next week is a really important practice to have in place because, you know, waking up refreshed on a Monday morning and then sitting down at your computer screen and just being overwhelmed without having a plan of attack, I think is probably the wrong foot to get off on. Um, Mm. But in terms of the more self-care and mental health side of entrepreneurship I actually feel really passionate about that because of my own journey and I certainly have felt a lot of um, imbalance over the past four years in my life and you know I've always been really effective at outsourcing I've that's definitely not I'm not a micromanager I find it very easy to outsource things which you know, if you have an issue with that, I would certainly try and overcome that before <laughs> anything because, you know, if you're trying to do everything, it's just like it's just never going to happen. Um, but in terms of self-care, I've just found some practices that have made a lot of difference in my life. So one is that I'm never checking my phone in the morning. So I will try and switch my phone off or onto aeroplane mode at about 7 p.m. at night and not turn it back on until 9 a.m. the next day. So, you know, setting that boundary so that I'm not constantly checking for emails or Slack messages or whatever makes a lot of difference because I've found it really difficult to ever switch off from work. Even if I'm not doing enormous work hours at the office, if I have my phone, I feel like I'm pretty much working because there's just constant emails and there's constant Slack messages and there's constant Instagram DMs and there's all sorts of things to check on. It's really exciting. You know, you get that little fun rush of like, oh, like we got this opportunity or this person's saying that or sometimes it's a negative thing and then that can put you into a bad spin or checking the sales figures or whatever it is. But just giving myself that space from that and then also carving out no, this is my weekend, you know, like that's time off that I'm going to have or like, no, these are my evenings. Like when I leave work, I actually leave work. And it's been really hard for me to establish those boundaries for myself, but I feel like I'm getting much, much better at them. Mm, That's amazing. Really, really good, great advice. And I think, you know, something good to leave our audience with, which is exactly that boundaries. And I think Tim Ferriss, that that was the four-hour work week, right, is putting up boundaries Mm -hmm. And 
you know, um, being okay with saying no and not always being available. And it's a hard, hard lesson to learn. Like there's, mm. I know for me when I'm in magazine production time or just even recently finishing my first draft of my book, it was like even sleeping, I was dreaming about work and like mm. waking up at five, like wide awake, being like, what have I got to do? Um so it is a really hard skill to learn to be able to switch off, but so, so vital to longevity in business, right? Yeah. I actually read a book recently called Already Free and it's like modern psychotherapy meets Buddhism and one of the mm. practices in there that's really helped me is just um, practising embodiment. So just kind of freeing myself to all this mental garbage that's going on and just simply focusing on actually what's occurring in my body and around me and just really detaching from the uh like the the linear notion of my thoughts so everything that was previous to this moment or everything that might be in the future that I'm worried about just dropping it and only just focusing on being in that moment and that's what I try and do every morning and as many times throughout the day as I can. And it just really helps me feel more connected with myself. That's incredible. I actually had a therapy session with my therapist this morning on that exact topic. Did you? <laughs> yeah, because I, I was talking about how I'm always in my head and how it, it's so hard. And she was like, you need to come back into your breath and just notice sensations and smells and sounds and um, yeah, trying to be back and I journaled just before we started this call actually around um, staying in my body, I felt I called it. Wow. Um, How weird yeah. is this? Okay, great. So, I'm telling you, this changed yeah. my life. I feel so much happier. I'm going to read that book so it's already free. Yeah, by Bruce Tift. Okay. Amazing. I can't wait to check it out. Um, we have gone into a very great off topic. There's also, I did send Sophie these questions about sustainability and all these things, but I feel like, you know what, I, maybe other people have covered that or they could read about it on the blog. And I'm so glad we got to dive into the incredible wisdom and story um, behind Seed and Sprout and you as an entrepreneur. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks for having me, Kay. It was really, really great. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning into the Startup Creative Podcast. If you get a chance, head to iTunes and leave a rating and review. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you get notified every time there's a new podcast up. See you next week.